Hello, my name is Gary. And my name is Simon. And this is episode 11 of EV Musings, a podcast about electric vehicles and things that are interesting to electric vehicle owners. On our podcast today, we'll be continuing our series on specific EVs that are on the market at the moment. We've already covered the BMW i3 and the Kia Soul, and the links to these podcasts are in the show notes. Today, we're looking at the Nissan Leaf. Before we get started, I want to let you know that as of last week's episode, EV Musings is now being distributed in stereo. Our earlier episodes were recorded and mixed in mono, but I now feel a little more confident in using stereo, so that's what will happen going forward. You'll find that Simon's voice is panned over to one side slightly. And Gary's voice is panned over to the other side slightly. We're not going to go mad and hard pan them right over to one side. Because that would be stupid and sound silly. Nor are we going to go from left to right to left to right. Because that will be stupid as well. So let's move on. Anything in the news that you want to talk about this week? Yes. So I've just got up on the recent Goodwood show. For those that do not know this show, it's about cars and speed and it's held every year at Goodwood. This year was a little different though. Not only did it have the fastest ever race around the circuit by VW's electric car, which recently smashed Pikes Peak in the States, uh, and did the same at Goodwood. But also, we had the first hill climb by a fully autonomous vehicle, Robo Race. Very quick and precise. Driving was very exciting and interesting stuff indeed. Yeah, actually, the Robo Race that they did this year, because did they not do one a couple of years ago on an earlier version? Mm. And it, it basically, again, it took 10, 12 seconds or whatever it was off that record that the original Robo Race one did. So it's just. You know, it's proving how the technology is coming on in leaps and bounds. Yeah, and the fact that it can do a, a hill climb completely autonomous. I mean, this thing looks just a beast. You know, it takes, I suppose, essentially Formula E cars and it just makes it even more modern than they already look. And, you know, the fact that it's autonomous going around that is, is quite something, really. Indeed it is. Our feature topic today is the Nissan Leaf. This is the next in our ongoing series, providing a fairly detailed look at the different EVs on the market in the UK. We've already talked about the BMW i3 and the Kia Soul, so this week we're moving on to one of the original mass-produced electric cars. The Nissan Leaf is quite historic. The first version was released in 2010. Among other awards and recognition, the Nissan Leaf has won the 2010 Green Car Vision Award, the 2011 European Car of the Year, the 2011 World Car of the Year, and the 2011 to 2012 Car of the Year Japan. The original version had a 24 kilowatt hour battery, good for around 80 miles. These were manufactured in Japan. Some of these batteries had issues, however, and were replaced under Nissan's eight-year guarantee. Production then moved to Nissan in Sunderland, and these batteries' issues quickly disappeared. A few years later, the 30 kilowatt hour version was released. It looked identical to the previous version and the range increased to about 100 to 110 miles. Just under two years ago, Nissan released the first totally new version of the Leaf, the 40 kilowatt hour Leaf 2. This is the version we'll be discussing today as it's the version currently on sale. It is almost inarguable that the Nissan Leaf, in all its incarnations, was one of the vehicles that prompted the start of the EV rollout in the UK especially. In fact, Nissan were instrumental in partnering with Ecotricity to fund and supply the initial charges for the electric highway at motorway service stations. Without the Nissan LEAF, I doubt that would have happened. Alongside the Tesla supercharger network, this was a contributing factor in kickstarting mass EV adoption. Here are some facts and figures. Price-wise, 
2019 LEAF 2 is £27,995 after the government grant. This price range is reasonable for what you get. On the basis of price per maximum range, it works out at £199 per mile. The LEAF has a 40 kilowatt hour battery of which 38 kilowatt hours is usable. There is a new version due next year with a battery pack of 62 kilowatt hours. So let's talk about range, which is always the key thing with EVs. There are two range figures associated with EVs, just as there are two consumption figures associated with ICE cars. There's the official range, calculated from static tests on rolling roads under ideal conditions. This is known as the WLTP range. And then there's the real-world range, which comes from actually using the car in real-world situations. The WLTP range for this vehicle is 168 miles on average. In winter, it'd be slightly lower, and when the weather is good, it will be higher. We spoke to Mike Stanton and Dean Snelling, who you will have heard as two of the interviewees on our first charging episode. And they've both got Nissan Leaf 40 kilowatts and 40 kilowatt hours. And they told us that in their experience, the actual day-to-day range of the Leaf is 150 to 160 miles around town and 130 at motorway speed on average. In winter, this range can drop to around 110 to 130, depending on how high you have the heating. Dean said he's regularly seen 75 miles left on his GOM at 50% state of charge. Now, if we look at the efficiency of the car, in other words, the distance it can move on a given unit of stored energy in the battery, we find the LEAF is actually quite good. The WLTP efficiency comes out at 225 watt-hours per mile, but real-world consumption is around 270 watt-hours per mile, which is 3.7 miles per kilowatt-hour. Again, for comparison, the Hyundai Ionic, the daddy of all efficient EVs, gets 230 watt-hours per mile, 4.3 miles per kilowatt-hour. This means a 40 kilowatt-hour Ionic, if there was such a thing, would travel over 20 miles further on a full charge than LEAF, but 3.7 miles per kilowatt-hour is not shabby at all. The LEAF uses Chadamo for DC fast charging. It will charge at 46 kilowatt maximum, giving a range of around 140 miles of charge per hour. What this also means is that the new 150 kilowatt hour BP Charge Master chargers are of no use to the LEAF, nor are the Ionity ones due to them not having the correct Chadimo connector. For home charging, it uses a standard Type 2 Menekes connector, charging with a maximum onboard charging rate of 6.6 kilowatts AC. This equates to 21 miles of charge per hour on three-phase charging. The charging curve is quite docile with high charge speed experienced above 40 kilowatt up to around 60% SOC and the figure dropping down quite rapidly after that. By 80% it's down to 25 kilowatt charging speed. This means the first 90 miles of the charge will go in quite quickly, but the remaining 60 can take almost as long. From an equipment point of view, this is moderately well spec. Adaptive cruise control, air conditioning, a nice speaker system, LED headlights, heated seats, front and back in the Tecna, heated steering wheel, all-round cameras with a, with a 360-degree view screen in the cabin, and the e-pedal, which is a genuine one-pedal driving, you can go from completely stationary up to the top speed and back to stationary without needing to touch the brake once. Certain versions of this vehicle are equipped with ProPilot, which is a combination of adaptive cruise control and lane keeping assist, providing an autopilot-like piece of functionality. 
However, Dean told us that uh, he said, quote, I find most of the safety features too sensitive, so I have some of them turned off. Lane keeping is a pain in the behind, as you have to keep indicating to change lanes if, if it forces you back. It sometimes has difficulty on roundabouts where the lane changes over, so that's the first thing I turned off, end quote. Apple CarPlay and Android Auto come as standard and the screen is clear, well lit and big. Although we have heard a report that Android Auto can shut itself down randomly. That could be a phone issue rather than a vehicle issue though. Top speed in this car is a reasonable 89 miles an hour with a respectable acceleration of 0 to 16 7.9 seconds. The front mounted motor produces 236 pound feet of torque and 148 horsepower. Also, not too shabby. This vehicle does have an app for remote access and charging. It allows preheating while still in your house or office. Mike Stanton gave us some feedback on what he did and didn't like about it. He said he likes the look of the vehicle, which has a more mainstream appearance than the earlier versions of the Leaf. He also loves the fact that the range is a vast increase on the 30 kilowatt hour Leaf he used to have. One of his favourite pieces of equipment is the sound system, which is nice and loud. Dean said, and I quote, The best things are like all around heated seats. The rear passengers like the heating. Ample boot space, although the subwoofer takes up space in the Techno. And the headlights. Seats are comfortable on long journeys, but could have done with adjustable lumbar support, end quote. As far as dislikes were concerned, both of our contributors said that there's certainly wind noise which impacts the quiet running of the leaf. Dean also said, and quote, I find the charge port because of the shallow angle collects water and will probably fill with snow in the winter, end quote. Both drivers also have an issue with a topic which are going to cover in a little more detail. The elephant in the room with the leaf 40 kilowatt hour. Yes, the big elephant in the room with the leaf is the so-called rapid gate issue. Essentially, because the battery doesn't have a cooling system, the battery management system compensates for this by limiting the speed at which fast charging can occur. In tests, well, in real life situation, people have been able on cold days to easily recharge using a DC fast charger at full speed once during a long trip. If they don't drive too fast and heat the battery up too much, they can recharge twice at full speed, i.e. 46 kilowatts, before the battery management system starts to limit the speed at which the charge can be accepted. The recharge speed then drops down to 34 kilowatts or lower, depending on how hot the battery is. The hotter the battery, the more the charge is throttled and the lower the charge speed is. We've seen pictures from Jonathan Porterfield of EcoCar sitting at 22 kilowatts on a Chadamo fast charger. Dean said, If they sorted out the heat displacement in the batteries, this would be a brilliant car, but I've got a feeling they never expected it to be used as a long-distance car. Seems doing small rapid charges between 20% and 60% means you don't suffer so much from the heating issues, but this means doing about 50 miles and then spending 15 minutes on a charger, rather than driving 120 miles and spending 35 to 40 minutes on a charger to get up to 80 to 85% and then doing another 100 miles, end quote. Nissan recently introduced a patch to the BMS to change the charge profile under hot battery conditions. This appears to have solved the issue for the most part, but remember, this will not solve the underlying problem. Charging a battery without cooling will degrade it quicker than charging it with cooling. This BMS fix appears to be solving a short-term issue with the charging, but still keeping a longer-term issue with battery degradation. For more on battery degradation, see our episode called Always Be Charging from a couple of weeks back. 
As we mentioned earlier, the Leaf has an eight-year battery warranty, so any problems should be dealt with by the manufacturers if they arise. Overall, the Leaf's a nice, well-spec vehicle with lots of room, a good range, and a reasonable price. I know of several of these that are used in the taxi trade. In fact, the Taxi Centre in Scotland, which is a central location for uh, bulk purchasing of vehicles to go into the taxi trade. They bought 200 of these to seed into the trade and as far as I know they've sold all of them uh, fairly well. If you can live with the potential rapid gate issue for longer distances this isn't an issue and it's a lovely looking car to boot. Similar vehicles to this include the Ionic, the e-Golf and the Zoe R110. So let's wrap it up by seeing if there's some cool EV or renewable thing we've come across that we can share with our listeners. Yeah, so here's mine. It's not really, I suppose, a, 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 an EV thing or renewable thing. But um, as you know, I, I, I do like to talk about SpaceX and Elon Musk and his connections <laughs> with the EV world. So here's mine. So SpaceX and Elon Musk, they're at it again, specifically Elon Musk. In a recent interview, and we'll put the link in the notes below, Elon was asked during this week's recent 50-year anniversary of the moon landing if we would ever go back. So not only did he agree, but believes he could and likely will do it before NASA. So in his comments was that it would take longer to convince NASA he could do it than actually go ahead and do it himself. Uh, he believes an unmanned mission in one to two years and a manned mission two years after. From his recent work, I'm inclined not to bet against him. We well, see now that's interesting because if you go back and look at his history for delivering on schedule, Mm. He talks big <laughs> and he delivers big, but he very rarely delivers big on time. Yeah, and I, I, I still think he'll do it before NASA. I just don't think it will be the one to two years, bef uh, like he says, because yeah. you're absolutely right. I mean, he's he's got great vision and the technology and everything he knows is great, but you wouldn't want to put him to a schedule. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he's just, you know, he's... he's uh, yeah, I mean, the guy's a, 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 an evil genius and clearly from Mars, but he doesn't know what time or a time schedule, I think, think is. So um, it's I think the one of the things I took out of this is that obviously he does a lot of work with NASA now. And now he's kind of saying in a not not a nasty way, but a nice way that actually it's, there's a lot of red tape to go through to actually convince NASA to do something. And it's actually quicker just to get on and do it. So it's kind of how he's how SpaceX has come around, really, that he's, you know, everyone wasn't doing it. So he just went ahead and done it. So I think the ability is definitely there. I think, like you said, the, the timescale may not be. So knowing what you do about the timescales, about the build mm. quality on things when they get rushed <laughs> through, would you be happy to be the first astronaut on a uh, SpaceX trip to the moon? Oh, God, no. <laughs> well there'll be like you know windows that don't shut properly and you know the the charging flat won't be quite right and <laughs> there'll be recalls and <laughs> by which time it's too late you know so <laughs> but i definitely agree you can get it done quicker than uh, nasa yes. can my cool thing this week is an episode of the fully charged podcast i listened to relating to particulate matter it was hosted by Helen Chersky and it discussed tyres and their impact on emissions. You see, EVs are emission-free at the tailpipe, but they still emit particulate matter from places such as their tyres. It's estimated by tyre manufacturers that a tyre will lose 10% 
of its weight or mass over 20,000 miles. This waste turns into particulate matter either on the road, and if you've ever watched Formula One and heard them talk about the marbles off the racing line of the circuit, that's beads of rubber from the tyres. Or alternatively, these uh, the particulate matter ends up in the air as fine PM that gets into the lungs. The podcast discusses the relatively higher wear that EVs have on their tyres due to being heavier because of the batteries and having more instant torque, which causes uh, tyre scrub. It also discusses the fact that the tyres we're using at the moment are actually all made from fossil fuels. There's very little rubber in a rubber tyre, and they're not actually designed for optimum EV usage. We can do better, and we will. One of the things that I found particularly horrifying, listen to this, uh, a lot of old tyres that are recycled, what they actually do is grind them down into powder, and that powder goes into places like um, AstroTurf, and you know these, yeah, you know these children's playgrounds where they've got like the soft. Uh, that's it. Hmm. That's made from the ground up tires, and all it's doing every time you put your foot on there is it's just kicking up very, very fine particulate matter into the air. So yes, it's, just be very careful uh, yeah. about where you use these uh, these ground up bits of tires. Yeah, it's a bit it's a bit weird. I mean, because the, there is manufacturers at the moment that are trying to kind of create almost a rubberless tires you know different materials and the way they make them so the, the biggest thing is like, like with evs and stuff it's the new technology isn't it and things like that and they put technology into everything but actually if you look at windscreen wipers tires you know the standard stuff that you find in cars that hasn't really moved on the one thing that was brought up in the podcast which is it's 100 percent common sense if you think about it but nobody thinks mm. about it the model for tires is they sell you for initially these last for a limited number of time, so 20,000 miles or whatever, and then they sell you four more. If you think about it, because that's their business model, there's no incentive for them to go, well, actually, we'll create a harder wearing tyre that will last for 100,000 miles because that's better for the environment and it doesn't kick out as much particulate yeah. matter. They're not going to do that. Okay, they might yeah, charge you a little bit more for it or quite a lot more for it, but their model is set up to continually churn through tires, put them into the market, and then have, you know, the quick fits in that, fit them on your car, and then you go off and just scrub them down to nothing. Mm, indeed. Mm. Anyway, a fascinating little podcast. Links in the show notes. And that's our show for today. Hope you enjoyed listening to it. If you want to contact us, Simon is at the EV side on Twitter and YouTube. And I'm the real Gary C on Twitter. If you're wanting a quick reference ebook to read on your Kindle, I wrote a little something called So You've Gone Electric. It's available on Amazon Worldwide for the measly sum of 99p or equivalent, and it's a great little introduction to living with an electric car. Links for everything we've talked about in the podcast today are in the description. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe. We're available on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, including Google Podcasts, I found out today. So we're definitely up on there. So if you're using the Google Podcast app, you should be able to find us and subscribe. Please leave a review as it makes us feel loved and helps us know we're not just shouting into the void here. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.